Well, good evening. Thank you, Renee, for doing a special request. I just love that song, and it just reminds me of you know, how much this church has been through and that the anchor still holds here. And it just I just love that song. It's like it's almost like the theme song for me for for this church. And I love when you sing it. I know you don't think you sing good, but you do sing really good. But we're in, we're two weeks away from doing our forgiveness and restoration service. And we've got cards out there, and we encourage you to invite people, even if they haven't been hurt in this church. Like I said this morning, if they've been in a church for longer than five minutes, they've probably been hurt in a church at some time, some place. Um, And why does that happen? Because the church is full of people. And people hurt other people, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. So we're having this forgiveness and restoration service because we want to move forward in this church. So we want to um, just invite whoever's been hurt. We're not asking them to come to the church. We're not asking them to quit their church and come here. Um, there's plenty of lost people. There's plenty of people looking for a church home. We don't want to go stealing anybody else's sheep. Actually, we don't want anybody in here that doesn't belong in here because if they're not hooked up with our vision or they're kicking all the time because they want things their way, then this isn't their church. Amen? So I don't know, I can be blunt because I guess because I'm from New England, so I can get away with it. But anyways, so we're two weeks away from that. And, and what I wanted to talk to you tonight about is the sifting, is restoration in the sifting. You know, I used to, and here when we came, it was kind of exciting because I like to do things. So I could see things that need to be done and I could do them. And so I got really excited. I mean, sometimes it gets overwhelming because there's so much, and then my little brain can't, like, make little lists of what has to be done. But, um, you know, we started. I'm actually going to use some of the pictures that I took with Facebook. If you go and look at the back porch on our house, it used to have this, like, really, I don't know what year the light was put up, but it didn't have a cover on it. It looked kind of unsafe to me. But when our friends Eric and um, Kathy came down, we had bought some um, light fixtures, and they they replaced that. And then I got to, um, I'd actually cleaned around it. And then this week I finally painted it, and I painted the door because it just bothered me. It was like, you know, who who would just leave that like that? But that's I see these things, and I want to fix them, and I want to restore them. So what, what you have to do when you're painting is you just can't, just open the paint and paint. I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? And then I had to have assurances from my helper that he was going to clean the brushes after. Because my idea of painting is I open the can and I paint it, and then that's I'm done. I don't want to clean up after myself. I usually buy the brushes you can throw away because I don't want to be bothered with it. But I know that he will clean the brush until it is ready to be used again. So I asked him, I think I did it, what, Thursday? I said, will you clean for me? Will you clean these brushes if I paint? And he said, yes. So I was ready to go. 
And I had already sanded and primed it, and it already looked like a thousand percent better, just the prime coat. And I got really, really excited, so I could hardly wait. So I painted, and it just it it looks so much better. It doesn't even look like the same porch. And I'm thinking, I've been thinking since Anne and Louise had talked about doing this love service. I my mind has just been restoration, restoration. And while I was painting, I was getting even more exciting thinking about restoration and the product afterwards. When we go through the sanding and we go through all the preparation and when it's painted and when it's done, how exciting it is. And sometimes we don't like the process of it, though. So we're going to start with Luke 22. And I'm going to read from um, starting at verse 24. And there was also a strife among them, which was which of them should be accounted the greatest. And Jesus said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. So this is at the Last Supper. Jesus is giving them last instructions. He's saying the greatest one is going to be the servant. And he's on this discourse, and then it's almost like in the middle of it, he's interrupted, and he looks at Peter, and he goes, Simon, Simon, the the devil desires to have you, but I'm praying for you. When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. So it's interesting that God uses the, used the devil to shake something out of Peter. Jesus gave him a heads up, though. He said, heads up, Peter. Something's coming. So even though we, we see that something was coming, Jesus was letting him know that the trial wasn't the end of the road. And sometimes we have to see that if you're in something where your character is being shaken, the trial's not at the end of the road. Because he said, after you're converted. So the good news was, I guess if Peter had remembered it, the good news would be that after you're converted, in other words, after you've got victory over this, go and strengthen your brethren. But I don't even know if Peter even heard that part. So Satan's goal was to destroy Peter, but God's goal was to use that trial to, to build a better man. And we have to remember that during our trials, we're, we're being made stronger. And, you know, they show the mouse on the mouse trap and says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's a cliche, but I think it's actually true. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger in your character. God's interested in our character. 
God's interested in how we relate to other people and how we relate to him. And he was trying to tell Peter a very important thing. Jesus said, and I've interceded for you. But he didn't pray for the trial to stop. Do you notice that? Jesus didn't say, and I prayed that, you know, the devil would be bound and that you would get victory. No, he, he just said, I pray that you're going to increase your faith during the trial, Peter. That your eyes are going to be open, that you're going to see that there's an error in your life. That you're, you're full of pride and you're full of fear. And I'm going to use this trial to get that out of you. So just stop and think about, all right, what is God doing in my life right now? What trial am I going through that I'm, it's not the end, but what am I going through that God's going to get something out of me? And that will actually make the trial shorter if we could just get it without having to go through stuff. But we're human, so we got to go through stuff because we're, we're thickheads sometimes, right? So the sifting makes us better, stronger, more mature, and stable if we can stand the process. And it's like that wood that you got to sand. I've refinished. We used to have, back when I was growing up, the cabinet was my mother's sewing cabinet. And it was really beautiful. It had a beautiful mirror, and then it had a drawer, and it had a desk that folded out. My mom just used it for all of her material and her yarn and stuff. My dad had this habit of when he had a gallon of paint, he would just paint until there was no more paint left. So that cabinet went through many coats of paint. And I inherited the cabinet, and I took it home to Massachusetts, and I started the process of stripping that paint and it was like it would never end. And then it wasn't bad with like the long pieces, but where the little scrolly things are. And I would put that gel on it and wait. And that gel did not, it, they make it sound like all you do is put it on there and then it comes off. And that is not true. That is a lie. But I finally got it down to the point where I could refinish it. And I got a new mirror because there was a crack in it. And it looked fabulous. But that whole process, though, took, and my daughter was like two at the time, so it was like you got to work around a kid that doesn't nap, and you got to try. I don't know how it ever got done, to tell you the truth, looking back, but it did. I finally, when we moved here, I just gave it to my sister because she always liked it, and I said, well, just take it. If you can stand the sanding, if you can stand all that, then you're going to come out a better person on your trial. And not only that, you're going to go strengthen the brethren. See, that's the, the beauty of the trials is they don't kill you, but it causes you to be stronger. It causes either more compassion to come out. It causes more love to come out. It causes more joy to come out. It causes more faith to come out of your life if you can stand the trial. So anyways, we're going to go back to... Okay. So the the problem with Peter was Peter was Peter had a lot of pride, he had a lot of fear, and it had to get worked out of him. He had to be shown it because, you know, Jesus said, after he said, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren, verse 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. So Jesus had a word of knowledge for him, but Peter was like, no, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm the one that said thou art the Christ, the son of, 
I know I'm going to, you know, and then what happened? Well, let's take a look and see what happened in Luke 22:54. Then they took Jesus and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and they were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looking upon him, and said, This is the man. This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently of one after, and after the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. Now, if you can imagine, I mean, how do you orchestrate a rooster crowing? I mean, who could do that? Who could do that? Only God could do that at that certain time. I mean, you think about just that that whole thing always amazed me. It's how you could get a rooster to crow on cue like that. And how God knew, God knew that was going to happen. And he tried to give Peter a heads up and say, look, look, man, you're going to deny me three times. Just telling you. But after you repent, you're going to be you're going to be good to go. And while Peter said that immediately while he spake the cock crew and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And I suppose that had to be the worst moment of Peter's life. If you ever disappointed anybody and had them look at you. It's like you I shoot me through the heart first before you see the disappointment of your husband or your wife or your mother or your or somebody that you really really love and you did something to disappoint them and Jesus just turned around and just looked at him and I'm sure his eyes were full of love. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Just to look at his face. To know I really disappointed him. I really blew it. And then he remembered the words. And maybe he had some hope because he said, When you're converted, strengthen the brethren. So maybe he had words of hope then. We were talking this morning in um, Sunday school, and Paula said it was really good. She said, we can debate with others, but when the Holy Spirit shows us something, there's no debate. You know, I can say, Clarence, you know, you're doing this, and we, we and I can go back and forth on it. But the Holy Spirit shows him something. God ever show you something right inside your heart? And it's like, oh, I see it now. And they, there is no debate about it. And for Peter, there was no debate. And he wept bitterly. He repented. And I want to show you, if we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. And this is Paul talking. It says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. 
For you are made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So you ever know people that were just sorry that they got caught? You know, sorry that they've created a problem, but they're not sorry to repent. They're not they're not sorrowful unto repentance. Judas was sorry, but he was sorry unto death. He was just sorry when he saw what he had done, but he could have come back. The difference between Judas and Peter was Judas could have come back and repented, and the Lord would have forgiven even Judas. But he didn't. He hung himself instead. So we've got two people who disappointed the Lord. But one one godly sorrow and one worldly sorrow. See, some people are not ever sorry. that, And you can tell the people that aren't truly repentant because they continue to do the same thing after they say they're sorry. You know, it's like a little kid where they said, I'm sorry. And you know they're not sorry. They're just saying it because that's what you're training them to do and they're hopefully someday they're really going to learn what it means and you know a few spankings later and a few timeouts later and a few things and they probably get it that their behavior is bad and then when they get older they understand that their behavior is bad and they make changes hopefully but Judas was sorry he was just no change in his heart so that's the the sorrow that work at death is there's no change. They're sorry. They come to the altar. They cry and they go back in. And as soon as that temptation comes back up, then they're right back in it. So there's a sorrow unto, unto death of the world. But it says in verse 11, for behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all things you ever proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So after you repent, then you're you're able to help other people because you've gotten it out of your system. You know, it's it's like a bad something that you're 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 passing, you're getting it out of the way. And now you're you're more useful to the Lord. You're you've reached that next step of maturity. So Judas was sorry he hung himself. Peter was sorry with the right kind of sorrow. So Peter was able to be restored and Judas just died. I mean there's there's obviously a world of difference. And what God is looking for is for our, the eyes of our understanding to be open so that we can see what we're doing because otherwise we're really powerless to stop our behavior until there's really godly sorrow. And so he was trying to tell Peter very gently, this is, you know, this is what's going to happen, but after you've done it and you've gotten through it, then you're going to be able to be a better servant. And it's all about servanthood. Like when Clarence and I got married, I was a little princess before we got married and I was thinking of all these princessy things and everybody was like, oh, you're the bride, you're going to get married. And I was like, yes, and I was really happy. And then I realized that there was somebody else in the relationship and that he had needs too. 
and it never occurred. Well, it doesn't, does it occur? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really sink in to me, all right? Just, I'll just use me as an example because we're talking about me. And I didn't, I had a realization that marriage is servanthood. I mean, at first it was all about me and my needs and I'm selfish. And and then I, I had this realization. I was watching actually Jimmy Evans' YouTube. And I had a realization that marriage is servanthood. And I think at this point with Peter's life, he had a realization that ministry is servanthood. And I think when we realize servanthood over me, 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 I think it makes all of our relationships better. I know it's made our relationship, and, you know, all right, so we're still almost newlyweds, right? We've been married for four years almost. So we're still, I guess, in that. But I I believe we can continue to have a good relationship because we've decided to be servants. There's sometimes that I'm sure he doesn't feel like doing the dishes or doing what he's doing, and sometimes I don't feel like doing what I'm doing. But we've made a commitment to one another to be servants of one another. So Peter had to get that into his heart because he was full of fear and he was full of pride. I mean, if he didn't get that out of him there, he would have been going around trying to boss everybody around and saying, you know, I'm the great apostle. I, you know, I know it was Jesus. I knew that was he was the Christ. And then Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. You know, I'm Peter. And he had to get that worked out of him, and he had to have the eyes open. See, it's not a bad thing when God shows you things. It doesn't feel good, because we're all full of pride, we're full of fears, and we're full of things that that God needs to get out. Nobody's arrived yet. So we're all dealing with things. We all have to get it out. And once we get it out, then we're we're ready for what? Greater servanthood. And then when you get it out and you look back and you say, well, how could I have been so immature? How could I have been like that? And I'm sure sometimes the Lord shakes his head and goes, yeah, I don't know. You know, sometimes we like to watch old murder she wrote. And Angela Lansbury, when the, the, the killer will say something like, well, you know, I had to do it or something. And she just kind of rolls and she, that look. She just has that look, you know, and I I sometimes picture God just like that, just going. So I want to turn now, if we can go to John 21. Because God's with us during this restoration period. God's with us. God's with this church. God, God wants to restore in this church. And sometimes things have to be cleaned out to be restored. And I'm not talking about the pews. I mean, you can't get too much. You can't clean out too much more, huh? But, um, you know, he, he's got to clean out our attitudes. He's got to. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? 
Peter was grieved because he said unto him, The third time lovest thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Three, den- three times denial, three times affirmation. They canceled each other out. And he's saying, Simon Peter, you know, and at one point he said, Go get Peter for me. Because I'm sure Peter didn't want to face the Lord because he was ashamed and embarrassed. But isn't God good? He doesn't hold this stuff against us. And when somebody repents, we can't hold it against them either. You know, we've all done lousy things to people. I mean, let's admit it. Who in this room has not done something lousy? Well, except for you, because you're nearly perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know the rest of you too well, but I know you guys are pretty good. But... um. You know, who who hasn't done something lousy? And who hasn't justified the lousy thing that they've done? And who hasn't done that? And yet, when we come to repentance, God doesn't hold that against us. Sometimes the hardest people or the, the hardest things, Lord forgets it right away, and yet people keep bringing it up like it's news. And it's like, yeah, but I've already, I don't do that anymore. It's like it doesn't matter. Some people just hold it and hold it. And we can't be a church body that holds stuff in our hearts. First of all, it's not good for your physical body. But secondly, and it's just not good for other people around you either. So we can't hold it. If somebody is repentant, if somebody is sorry, we can't hold it against people. We have to let it go. We have to let the things in the past go. Clarence and I are fortunate when we come in here because we don't know all the dirty details we know all we knew that when we came to the church we can sense that there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of things going on but we don't know the details it's like when the surgeon comes in to operate they don't always know why the patient's on the table they just know that they have to operate to get the poison out to fix the bone to do what has to be done. But they don't know the details. They just know that, you know, there was something that happened that caused this. And they'll fix it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to fix what's wrong in the church. And I'm not saying that, you know, ooh, this is a bad church and a lot of, you know. But there's been past hurts and we need to admit it and say that things, things haven't gone so well. But I believe God wants to fix that. I believe God wants to restore. I believe God wants to take that sifting in some of us, the sandpaper to some of us. And I think he wants to knit us together as a body and say, yes, that did happen. But that was in the past. And now is a new day. A new day has come. And I can tell you because we had to leave a church in Pittsfield. I don't want to give the details because we're on Facebook (laughs) <laughs> and I don't I, I wouldn't do that anyways it just got pretty bad in the church I, I had been in there for, for a long time Clarence was lifelong friends with the pastors and to this day we haven't talked to them and we had to it'll be almost three years that we have left the church Clarence tried to extend he went over he went to the office to try to visit to make amends and no not interested And a lot of people got hurt in that. A lot of people stopped going to church. People um, went to another church 
Um, but there wasn't anything to bring a healing. I mean, I lost good friends that won't even speak to me to this day. I mean, they blocked me on Facebook. And these are people like I did children's ministry with. I did, you know, it wasn't just casual acquaintance. I mean, these were people that I, I was good friends with. And when there's a split like that, people take sides. You can't help it because it's human nature. But it can't be fixed if the leadership refuses to fix it. And seeing, I guess coming from that, I have, I understand a lot of the hurt, not having gone through what you went through, but going through similar things. I understand how much your heart hurts when you don't talk to people anymore that you used to be. Because they, they do say that churches are families. And then you find out sometimes it's a lie that they're not really families. They just say that because your family wouldn't treat you like that, especially if it's a supposed to be a spiritual family. They, they wouldn't do that to you. But that's not true. I mean, some families are estranged. I mean, my son won't talk to me because I voted for Donald Trump. That was, I know. Well, listen, they're all, they were raised in the North. I can't, (laughs) I did my best with them. Okay. But, um, I, I understand the family part that sometimes the family part doesn't work out either, but I think a church, I think people that are hurt in church, I think it goes deeper because you expect more from somebody that's in the church than you would expect from a, a, a heathen family member because you would expect them to know better. But we're still people underneath our spirituality and we're still people underneath that label. So I guess that's why I was excited when you mentioned about a, a love night, you know, the restoration, because I know that, you know, even my friends that are watching in Pittsfield, they need it too. You know, they need a healing, and they need somebody to say, yes, you were hurt. And we need to let the Holy Spirit do the work on the inside to restore. And then, just like when your bone is set or when the cancer's out or whatever, now you're healed, now you can move forward. But you can't just, you can't limp along with a broken bone. You can't limp around when your heart has been broken by people. Because what's the first thing that happens when somebody says something that's similar to that other person who hurt you? Then the walls go up. And you don't want to talk to them. And now there's strife. And now it's starting back in. See, we, we want a safe atmosphere. We want it. We don't want strife in here. Listen, you got enough strife and stress on the outside of these four walls. Amen. This should be the refuge. This should be the sanctuary. This shouldn't be where there's like all this drama. Clarence and I are like the least drama people that you probably will ever meet. We don't have drama in our life. We just refuse to have it. We don't want it. We don't want it in the church. We don't want drama. You know, I don't want this place to be a place of strife and stress. I want it when people come in, they can feel the atmosphere, and it's a good atmosphere. And then they can come in and feel safe and kind of just relax for a little bit, hear the word, go back out there, because you're going back on the front lines. You're going back out there into the world, into your homes, into your workplace, into the place where you shop and place where you do things. 
So we don't want this to be a continuation of that. We don't need little mini-dramas all over the place, and we refuse to have them. We're just not having them. So we're, we're going to have the atmosphere like that, but we've got to clean out anything that's underneath and give everybody opportunity. So we're going to take the next two weeks. We're going to be talking about restoration. Um, Clarence is going to start the book of Ephesians on Wednesday night. And we're just going to believe, God, that after that we're going to move forward because this is a good church. This is a, a loving church. It's a kind church. It's a gracious church. I haven't heard, we've heard what's gone on in the past in little snippets. We haven't heard the whole bloody mess. And quite frankly, I don't think I could take it. But what we've heard from everybody, we've heard kind words. We've heard gracious words. I don't think I've heard anybody say any mean thing about anybody else in the church. And I said, this is a special group of people for all that they've went through. They're very kind and gracious and loving. Nobody's got, maybe I just don't know you guys well enough, but nobody has said a, a mean thing about anybody else. They said, this is a, a very mature group. And they that song, that's why that song hits me like that when I hear it and I think about our church. Because no matter what the devil has tried to do to this church, love has prevailed. You guys have stuck through the storms. You guys have stuck through it all. And now God wants to take this church and he wants to build it. So that's what we're going to be doing two nights from now. And we're asking, or two Sundays from now, we're asking for you guys to pray. We're going to have a special prayer meeting next week sometime. We're going to ask you if you can. And I, I don't ever, one of the problems I had with my former church, not the one where we went to after we were so hideously treated, but the church afterwards, I suppose I shouldn't put it like that, but it was. Um, but where the church where the dysfunctional, can we just call it the dysfunctional church because it was dysfunctional? Um, if you didn't show up for church, it was like, well, where were you? You know, where were you? Where were you? We will never ask you where you are, okay? Because I think you're all adults. If you have something that you need to do and it happens to fall on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night, I'm going to assume that you guys are going to do the right thing and you're going to go do what you need to do and not feel guilty about not being in church. If we call a prayer meeting and you can't make it, I'm going to assume that you guys are doing what God has told you to do or what you felt was the better thing to do because you guys are adults. You're not little kids. You don't have to be treated like, well, you know, you need to be here every time the church doors are open. I heard that all the time. And I couldn't get out of it because I was church secretary. I didn't want to hear it the next day. So I went whether something else was going on or not. And that's wrong. You shouldn't do that to somebody. So we need to establish a healthy base here. And we need to get some of that stuff out. See, because it still bothers me. This is after three years. It bothers me because we never had closure on it. Because they wouldn't 
they wouldn't sit down and talk to us like two human beings. You know, they wouldn't do that. So I understand the importance of having a night where there can be closure. And we can put those things in the past and say, okay, that was the way it used to be. Thank God it's not like that anymore. Amen. So I'm looking forward to it, too, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in that. I want to give you one more scripture in First Peter. But looking back over the three years, looking back, I could see the hand of God. And I know who my true friends are because I still have friends that are very cordial and very nice and really love me in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. So it wasn't that they were all, you know, it wasn't like this horrible, massive betrayal. But um, looking back, you can see things that you couldn't see at the time because you were in it. But looking back, I could I could see where it was the will of the Lord for some of the things that happened. And... You can really say, thank you, Jesus, that even though things are hard, and I I think I can speak for what you've been through. It's like even though things were hard, now we can look back and we can see some of the things a little more clear. I mean, not everything, but, you know, I can see why things happened the way they happened. And it was for our good, and it propelled us in a different direction. Because I would get comfortable. We probably would still be in Pittsfield Thank God for the church. We went to the church across across town. It was lovely. It was great. It was a place of healing for us. It was what we needed. But it, the town is a little bit bigger than Aubrey, but not too much bigger. So you can understand everybody knows everybody's stuff. And First Peter, he says in verse 6, and this is Peter after speaking from experience, after speaking after his denial. This is Peter, what he said. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He could speak that from experience. He wasn't just somebody that was saying, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He was saying, you could trust God, that if you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he's going to exalt you, because I'm a living example of what happens when a person humbles themselves. That even though I messed up, I, I am Peter. I denied the Lord three times. And yet God didn't throw me away like a person would. God stretched out his hand and he said, Peter, dust yourself off. And now we're getting, now you're ready to do ministry. So he said, humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care. If you've got care tonight, cast it on to the Lord. You sleep better. There's not why why should both of you stay up? You know who he's gonna be up anyways, he doesn't sleep, so why should you be up too? Cast it on to him and go to sleep. Believe me, if it's a problem, it'll be there in the morning. But get a good night's sleep. Above all else, get a good night's sleep. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. See, your adversary is the devil, and I don't like to magnify him. He's defeated, but God uses him as a stooge. God uses him to put you in the place where you need to be. God used 
God let the devil sift Peter as wheat. So if he's going to use the devil to sift Peter as wheat, don't you think he's going to use the devil to sift you as wheat and sift me as wheat? He's giving us a heads up. And he's saying this is what this is what we do. But the good news is, number one, the devil's defeated. So he's just a stooge. He can't go beyond what the boundaries are. He can't go beyond a certain point. But God uses him, why? To get stuff out of us. I don't like it when people magnify the devil over Jesus. God is bigger. God's always going to be bigger than the devil all the time. He said he walks around as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And what does he say in the next verse? Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. It's an encouraging word. He's going to strengthen. He's going to establish you. He's going to settle you. Why? So you can convert the brethren. So what you know, you can use to help somebody else. You can say, I've walked that route before. If we don't ever have any trials, if we don't ever have any troubles, how do we reach a lost and dying world? They've got to see somebody who walks in integrity. They have to see somebody who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way that they have to see is that we're going through the same things that they're going through, but why are we going through a lot better? Even though things may not change for us, why why are we getting why why are we doing that? Why are we not flipping out like they are? Why are we not losing sleep like they are? That's how you win the city. That's how you bring people in to the church is by your walk every day is how you relate to other people. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Amen. So we should enjoy the sifting. We did a, a little study guide in the book of James. We'll probably do that maybe after the book of Ephesians. Maybe we'll do that. It says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptation. Because the Lord is working in you. And we don't. I mean, I am like the last person. I'm a baby. I don't like stuff happening that's bad. I like everything to go good. I like everybody to have happy lives. But that's not how it works in real life. So we have to be able to strengthen people. We have to be able to establish them. We have to show maturity by what we have gone through. And we have to have the victory in our own lives to show that Jesus is real, that God is real. We can't do it on our own. Peter couldn't turn around and repent and be strengthened on his own. He needed the Holy Spirit to help him. He needed Jesus to encourage him to say, I've prayed for you. I'm not taking the trial away, Peter. I'm just letting you know that something's coming your way very shortly. 
So he says, strengthen the brethren. Now you're ready, Peter, to feed my sheep. Now you're ready to take your place. And Aubrey Faith Assembly will be ready to take our place. We'll be ready to do the work. Amen. So we're going to hear a lot more on restoration. In Jeremiah 30, 17, it says, For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion, for whom no one cares. Just scripture after scripture of restoration. And I think God wants to encourage you tonight. It's not over with here. It's just, it's a turning point, and there's there's good things up ahead. Amen? So let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for the word that that brings healing. Father, we thank you for the examples in the Bible, for, for the people that have walked this course already, and for the people that have made it. Father, we thank you for each one tonight that's facing trials and stress and troubles. Lord, that they would just cast it upon you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Lord, you're a good God. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you that you're restoring our, this church. Father, that you're cleaning out this church, the, the wounds that are underneath. Father, you're cleaning out the, uh, the, ad, the attitudes and the ideas and the, the strife and the things that, that went on in the past, Father, so we can move forward as a, as a unit that loves one another, that cares for one another. Father, we are thanking you. Lord, I just love this people, and I ask that you bless them. Father, bless their finances. Father, bless their health. Father, bless every need that they have. Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that you would strengthen them and that you would establish them so that they can go and they can help somebody else. Know that God is real. And, Lord, we just thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise.